0: Chapter twenty three of Prophets, Priests, and Kings by Alfred George Gardiner. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter twenty three. Lord Lorburn. Lord Lorburn started life with two enormous advantages. He was a Scotsman, and he was known as Bob reed To be born a Scotsman is to be born with a silver spoon in the mouth. It is to be born, as it were, into the governing family we english are the hewers of wood and drawers of water for our caledonian masters formerly they used to raid our borders and steal our cattle but they kept to their own soil in those happy days an englishman had a chance in his own country Today, he is little better than a hod carrier the scotsmen have captured not our cattle but the british empire they sit in the seats of the mighty westminster is their washpot, and over canada do they cast out their shoe the head of the english church is a scotsman and his brother of york came out of a scotch presbyterian manse the premier is usually a scotsman and if not scotch he sits for a scotch constituency and the lord chancellor the keeper of the king's conscience is a scotsman too london has become an annex of edinburgh and canada is little more than a scotch off-hand farm our single satisfaction is that whenever we want a book to read we have only to apply to skeeble castle and mr carnegie will send a free library by return it is a pleasant way he has of reminding us that we want educating next to being born a scotsman lord Lorburn was most fortunate in his name Many a man's career is blasted by an ill name. When Mr. A.C. Morton rose upon the firmament of Parliament, he seemed to have a prosperous future before him. But one day a malevolent pressman in the gallery discovered that A.C. stood for Alpheus Cleophus. He published the fact to the world, and Mr. Morton never recovered from the blow. He vanished in derisive laughter. His fate was sealed at the font no man can stagger to success under such a burden as alpheus cleophas and half the bitterness felt toward mr jabez balfour was due to his unctuous name it was an aggravation of his offence it was felt to embody all the negative pieties lord lorburn on the other hand might claim that his name was his fortune there was a simplicity and a directness of appeal about bob reed that was irresistible it left nothing more to be said it was like a certificate of good character it made you trust him without knowing him it seemed to bubble over with good humour to radiate honesty and simple worth to utter volumes of sound sense a man who was known to everybody as bob had disarmed the world he simply had to enter in and take possession a plain unvarnished man large of frame and soft of voice stiff in opinion honest and unimaginative loyal in friendship immovably obstinate in purpose he represents the british type in its stubborn devotion to justice as perfectly as his predecessor represented it in its ruthless claim to the supremacy of force there was more geniality about lord halsbury than about lord Lorburn, but it was the geniality of a merry ogre secure of his victims jubilant in his strength jovially contemptuous of moral considerations under the steward's he would have whipped dr clifford off to jack catch with a quip about shaving his beard for him nothing is more significant of the change effected by the election of nineteen o six than the fact that lord Lorburn sits where lord halsbury sat for nearly twenty years lord halsbury for whose genius as a lawyer by the way lord Lorburn has a profound admiration filled his great office with a jolly cynicism that made his tenure of the woolsack notorious he frankly regarded it as a political instrument he reduced the bench to a lower level than it had touched for a century any party hack any necessitous relative of a tory magnate might look for office from the lord chancellor there is a story probably invented but conveying the spirit of political preference with which he exercised his great powers of patronage that when one position on the bench fell vacant the late lord salisbury asked him to appoint a certain barrister to the post even lord halsbury was staggered at the proposal but he said a judge must know a little law it would be a scandal to put blank on the bench it would be a worse scandal replied salisbury for a member of an old county family to pass through the bankruptcy court the plea was irresistible lord chancellor westbury when his nepotism had become so gross a scandal as to lead to protest from his colleagues replied but remember my oath i have promised to appoint only those whom i know to be fitted for the duties a dozen names are submitted to me one of them is that of a man whom i have known for years perhaps all my life and whom i know to be fitted for the office what am i to do it was an unanswerable way of putting the case but lord halsbury had a certain blunt honesty that would have scorned such ingenious defences to the victors the spoils was his maxim and he acted upon it with a gay contempt for criticism which had a certain merit that adroit excuses would not have had the fault of lord lorburn is in the opposite direction he is overwhelmed with the sense of responsibility the solemn oath he has taken is ever present to his mind i saw him take it said a friend of his to me and i saw the deep impression it made later i went to see him when he was considering an appointment when he began to murmur his oath without fear or favour and the rest i knew there was going to be trouble soon after the election i was sitting at dinner next to one of those clever women of the tory party who pulled the strings of government behind the scenes i was terribly frightened of your lord chancellor she said i have just met him at dinner we have nothing to fear from your lord chancellor what she meant was that lord lorburn was so just that he could be relied on to be a little unjust to his own side hence the anger not loud but deep that has raged around him. His speeches in the House of Lords are brave utterances of uncompromising radicalism. The man who stood like a rock against the war now faces the serried ranks of Toryism, and in suave accents delivers the most radical speeches ever spoken from the woolsack since the days of Brougham. But when it comes to the administration of his department, then away with party justice as he conceives it shall be done though the heavens of liberalism fall in ruins it was he he the fierce enemy of the war and of chinese serfdom who stood for the sanctity of those sixteen thousand permits which the tories issued to the mine owners on the eve of the dissolution it is he who has restored the full authority of tory lord lieutenants throughout the country to ratify the nominations to the magistracy every appointment shall be made on its intrinsic merits and through traditional channels without relation to politics an excellent ideal except that the lord lieutenants have no legal authority as lord herschel showed an excellent ideal if we did not start with a bench packed during twenty years with conservatives but to the plain man who fought to destroy this gross partiality of the bench and who incidentally placed lord lorburn in the position to do him justice this excessive correctitude seemed like a betrayal lord lorburn has faced the rebels in his own camp as unflinchingly as he faces the lords on questions of policy and principle or as he used to face the bowling in the days when he kept wicket for oxford he faces them with a certain stiffness and hauteur that treats criticism as an affront to his solemn oath i do not wish to be introduced to mr Blank, he said on one occasion of a certain liberal m p i do not wish to be introduced to those associated with him he has been very rude to me on the subject of the magistrates whether we like this view of duty or not we cannot but respect its honesty and fearlessness it springs from a rare purity of motive from the ideal of public service as a sacred trust such a tradition will make the task of future halsburys difficult in his personal relations lord lorburn has none of the cold severity of office he is a man of singular sensitiveness and tenderness of heart clinging to old memories and old friendships his devotion to the late sir frank lockwood when living and to his memory now that he is dead is typical of this fine trait they were the david and jonathan of the bar and the house sir frank as those who saw the exhibition of his caricatures will remember satirized his friend mercilessly pictured him in kilts holding on to a lamp-post meeting a young lady in the dusk with the legend meet me at the corner when the clock strikes nine and preparing his speech for the parnell commission with the aid of a short black pipe and a huge whisky bottle but no one enjoyed these wild extravagances of friendship more than sir robert his affection for kindly john o'connor m p is a tradition of the house and of the national liberal club and he never fails to preside at the frequent dinners to spencer Leigh hughes show me a man's friends in these friendships we have the key to lord lorburn's character he loves the plain unpretentious man who wants nothing fears nothing hates cant, and tells the truth all the better if he plays cricket does he bowl used to be one of his questions when a candidate for the eighty club came before him for in the days of his youth he was a brilliant wicket-keeper filling the position for oxford against cambridge and in the days of his years and dignities he became president of the m c c thrice moreover he represented oxford at rackets and later fought for the amateur tennis championship unsuccessfully against sir edward gray but he was far too good a scot to allow pleasure to absorb his energies and his industry and solid capacity secured him a double first and when he saw that the attractions of the playing-fields endangered his career he put bat and racket firmly aside for the same resolute purpose and tenacity carried him to the head of his profession when jowett asked him what career he proposed for himself and he told him the bar The master of Balliol said in his arid way, You will do no good at the bar. Good morning. When, years later, his reputation made and his future secure, he revisited Oxford, Jowett said, By the way, Mr. Reed, I told you you would be no good at the bar. I beg your pardon. Good morning. It is dogged that does it, and the Lord Chancellor's career is the most striking example to-day of what may be achieved by plain homespun capacities governed by an indomitable purpose his love of the plain man was the secret of his devotion to sir henry campbell bannerman as it was of sir henry's attachment to him an attachment not blind to his little defects reed is a splendid fellow and a very good radical he said to me but if he doesn't have his own way he can be an uncomfortable bedfellow through all the bitter time of the war sir robert stood by him with a loyalty that neither asked nor gave quarter he was the relentless enemy of the liberal league stiff uncompromising and challenging he burnt his boats with the rosebery party and in the temple his chances of the chancellorship were ridiculed but when lord rosebery went down to bodman one saturday and said finally i will not serve under that flag He incidentally placed Sir Robert Reed on the woolsack. His was the first appointment Sir Henry Campbell Bannerman made when he came into power. With the exception I have indicated, it has been splendidly justified. Lord Lorburn has not the learning of Gladstone's great chancellors, Page Wood and Rondell Palmer, but he has courage, high purpose, and persuasiveness. His appointments to the High Court and the County Court have won general approval he has set himself to reform the law's delay with striking success on the bench his judgments are grave lucid and weighty he is an example of the maxim that honesty is the best policy honesty backed by very plain everyday qualities industry courage unwavering purpose a solid man without brilliancy imagination profundity or humour he has risen to the highest place in a profession in which these qualities are more common than in any other department of life it is the triumph of character the reward of the industrious apprentice and of sterling worth England has had more brilliant Lord Chancellors, but none who combined in a greater degree the sense of the high responsibilities of his office with perfect honesty, unaffected dignity, and rare lucidity of thought and utterance. End of chapter 23